Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the Autosport Podcast. It's Daniel Kvyat out, Pierre Gasly in, and Toro Rosso for the Malaysian Grand Prix. We explain why. So Pierre Gasly will make his Formula 1 debut in Sunday's Malaysian Grand Prix in place of Daniel Kvyat at Scuderia Toro Rosso. The 21-year-old Frenchman currently racing in Japan's Super Formula Championship. He's been on Red Bull's book since being picked up off the back of the 2012 season. It's been a long part of Formula 1 for Gasly. He won the GP2 title last season. He's had his ups and downs, but he's very, very much on the up now. I've got two guests who will be able to tell you all about him and discuss a little bit about what makes Red Bull think Gasly is such a good driver. My name is Ed Straw, Editor-in-Chief of Autosport. Joining me first is Glenn Freeman, who covered Gasly in both Formula Renault 2 litre in the Euro Cup and also in Formula Renault 3.5. So is Gasly someone who's been on your radar as a serious prospect ever since you first encountered him? Yeah, we were just talking about this before you hit record, Ed. And um, I covered the sort of transition of Gasly from one of the many French drivers on that scene at the time to getting picked up by Red Bull and then the sort of progression that he's taken since then and he didn't perhaps particularly stand out in the first year I saw him before Red Bull picked him up but he certainly took a step the moment they got involved so very quickly you went from thinking why have they taken him to 
he looks the real deal. And yeah, I was really impressed in the time that I saw him. And I'm delighted for him uh, that he's getting an opportunity to show if he deserves an F1 drive next year. Marcus Simmons, you're the one who's most recently seen Pierre Gasly race. You went out to a Super Formula round earlier this year. Which round did you go to? I went to Okayama. Excellent. The old TIAEDA circuit. Yeah. Held two Grand Prix in 94 and 95. The Pacific Grand Prix, or the bus Grand Prix, as they called it, because <laughs> everybody had to bus in because there was no way to, to drive into it. But I think I've digressed somewhat. So what do you make of Gasly? I um, dropped in and covered a couple of GP2 rounds last year as well. And um, our paths had never really crossed before. During the middle of last year's GP2 season, he'd gone best part of three years without winning a race in anything. And... Um, there was increasing talk about, you know, when is this guy actually going to win? The first of the GP2 races I covered was at the Red Bull Ring, where he got himself into a winning situation and just threw it off into the gravel. And everybody was like, oh, my God, the poor guy. You know, what has he, what has he got to do? How is he going to get his confidence turned around for the next weekend? Because it was Silverstone the weekend after. Um, I went to that one as well, and he was a different guy. He was absolutely brilliant. Um, he made an early pit stop in the feature race and then methodically picked off the late stoppers who were a bit slower. Exactly the kind of situation where you might have thought he was going to run into one of them or something something bad was going to happen. And he did exactly what he had to do and uh, and won the race. And then that was the trigger point um, for him winning that championship, really. It all started that weekend at Silverstone. Well, momentum certainly built for him dramatically both through that and then this year he's in contention with the Super Formula title and now that's helped lead to this opportunity so it's certainly all happening for him. Before we get too much into Gasly it's worth just briefly having a quick look at the man he replaces Daniel Kvyat. I should add at this moment a caveat the Kvyat caveat that currently it's just for the Malaysian Grand Prix we think it's also going to be for the Japanese Grand Prix as well. Well it's, it's races plural we understand exactly, they haven't yeah. specified which races those are going to be there is there's one clash, isn't there? I think the Super Formula finale clashes with Austin. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, Kvyat gets back in then, I assume. And then I think maybe Red Bull has bought itself some some flexibility with its wording up to now. So they probably haven't worked out what they'll do with the remaining F1 races after that. So what do we make of Daniel Kvyat's benching? I was having a look back at his stats, and they don't make particularly pretty reading we last saw him crashing out of the Singapore Grand Prix quite early on albeit in difficult conditions if you look at his record since he was demoted back to Toro Rosso after the first four rounds of last year it doesn't make great reading he's got a total of eight points compared to the 90 points that Carlos Sainz Jr. has amassed in the other car that's in 31 races I don't really think anybody can be too well he can be sympathetic but this seems like a perfectly logical move by Red Bull. Yeah, Kvyat's treatment uh, by Red Bull has been harsh, but that is the way Red Bull treats its young drivers up and down uh, its its single-seater ladder. So he may still be paying the price psychologically for what he went through uh, in well, early 2016. But yeah, the results don't back up uh, a case for saying that he should be keeping someone else out of a seat, even if this is only temporary, effectively... Gasly could be auditioning to be Kvyat's teammate next season because uh, obviously science is off to Renault. So I'm glad to see Gasly getting a chance. I think Kvyat probably needs maybe to be benched or put on the sidelines for a bit. As far as I can tell, he comes across when he's talking to the media and when he's talking on the radio as a guy whose head is a bit all over the place at the moment. So maybe this can do him some good. I think it would probably be counterproductive 
to leave him out of the car for the whole of the rest of the season because then that would be yeah he doesn't seem to be the most naturally confident driver anyway and um to to miss the whole of the rest of the season would probably uh deepen his gloom even more if that's if that's the plan for him to come back to the race team next year with Gasly then I think Red Bull can probably find out what they need to what they need to know about Gasly within a couple of weekends and then uh, bring Kvyat back and have him hopefully in a better frame of mind for next season. Well, that seems to be the key thing with Kvyat. He's still only 23. He has done 71 Grand Prix, and it's it's gone pretty badly this season. He's had nine races without a point, which is the, the longest blank period of his, of his career. But it's strange, because right at the start of the season, he was comparing pretty well to science. He had a little bit of bad luck the first few races that maybe compromised the results. But you're thinking, yeah, this is Kvyat back. And his first season in 2014 with Toro Rosso was very impressive. He did a pretty decent job in his full season with Red Bull in 2015. I think the points, relatively speaking, compared to Ricardo, flattered him a little bit. But he still did a pretty decent job. But he just seems to have lost it. I think the whole point you make there, Marcus, about confidence is maybe maybe at the heart of it. Because he seems to very easily lose the plot. And it's going to be interesting to see how he responds to this. And it's a shame because there is genuine ability there. Oh, yeah. You know, he didn't fluke his way to F1. Yeah, he, he proved himself... Coming up the ladder, he was strong in Formula Renault 2 Liter. He won the GP3 title, where he actually blew Science away as they were teammates in that series. And that catapulted him to Formula 1, while Science had to take a longer route through World Series by Renault, as it was then. So he earned his way there, maybe got fast-tracked a little bit, but, you know, that happens sometimes. And as you say, Ed, you've covered far more Grand Prix than us two, but you'd seen, we'd all seen good performances from him along the way but it just feels like it's gone off the rails this year and Toro Rosso is not famed for being a team where you get a long time to turn these things around I'd say they've been pretty generous once they've decided he's not good enough for the top team and they have to get Max Verstappen in that car it was generous of them to put him back to Toro Rosso and not just eliminate him entirely from their from their program so he's had time to turn this around he's been up against what I think we all believe is a a top top driver in waiting in Carlos Sainz Jr and he has been blown away uh, so far this season. I'm glad that Gasly's getting a chance. And uh, it's a good move from Red Bull. They normally act pretty quickly on these sort of things. And I was starting to wonder if there was a, another reason we didn't know about that was holding Gasly back. But it seems that as he's built momentum in Super Formula, he's come back on the radar a little bit. That, that's that's right. It didn't seem much of a vote of confidence in Gasly for, for him to win the GP2 exactly. title last year and not be... Uh, promoted into Formula One um, and yeah, at the end of 2016 Kvyat was hardly looking like a world champion of the future so um, but he yeah, his season in Japan um, I think may have answered a few of those questions that maybe Red Bull had over him um, it was a difficult start an alien alien culture alien racing environment but he's massively turned it around and um, I don't think we've mentioned yet he's only half a point away from the championship lead which in a such a specialised championship as that is a, is an incredible achievement. It's actually much better than uh, Stoffel van Dorner managed last year. Marcus, do you think that sometimes the competitiveness of Super Formula gets underestimated from people who are so far away from it and maybe don't see it? You've seen it firsthand this year. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen it firsthand um, and heard quite a lot from other people um, who've, who've been there and been um, part of the, the scene there. Not only do you have a group of very talented local drivers Japanese drivers and um, but it's a rather a different culture to the way we we go junior 
well, it's not junior single-seater racing there. It's the top of their ladder, of course. It's more like an IndyCar equivalent, really. The, the tyres have much more performance in them than we're used to over here. So the, the drivers are really leaning on the cars, carrying a lot of speed into the corners. And uh, you know, Andre Lotterer has said to me that the pole positions are won purely on bravery. You know, how fast can you commit to go into the corners? And um, there is a real technique to doing that, obviously, and um, which some drivers who go over there can struggle to master. And, um, and it works the other way as well, because um, a Japanese driver coming over to uh, perform in a championship in Europe where the tyres aren't so good will probably struggle with that as well. And you'd have to say that arguably Gasly is now favourite for the Super Formula title. They've just got the Suzuka doubleheader to go. The championship leader is Hiroaki Ishiura, who is a veteran of this category, very experienced. But he's only got half a point advantage. If you look over the last three races, Gasly won in Mategi, won in Autopolis, second in Sugo. The momentum seems to be really with him. If he can win that title, that's a stunning achievement. It is, but it's also an incredibly unpredictable series as well. Um, it's uh, The margins are tiny um, in between the front-running teams and the front-running drivers. Gasly could go to Suzuka, be two-tenths off in qualifying and be eighth on the grid and um, give himself a mountain to climb in the race. And there's a lot on strategy as well because um, it, it's a little... I'm going to compare it with another series now, but <laughs> but they have um, the facility for tyre stops in the races and it's, and it's a bit like the DTM because the tyres are so good and they last for so long... Um, that people can come in at the end of lap one and then go to the end of the race. So there's that random element in there as well, where just because somebody is on the crest of a wave with with recent form, things could very easily go against them um, at the final at, at the next race, which is the final one in this case. Looking at Gasly's qualities, the thing that does stand out throughout his junior career is his speed. Even in the times when he was struggling a little bit, for example, in well, GP2 in 2015, he didn't win a race, but he was the second strongest qualifier after Stoffel van Dorn over the year, and van Dorn was breaking all the records that year. So I think we can assume Gasly, pace-wise, isn't really a problem. He's a seriously quick driver. Mm. There, there is a reason why he took quite a long time to win in GP2, and, and it's uh, related to what I said about Super Formula, where he, he is a driver who carries a hell of a lot of speed into corners, and he leans a lot on the tyre and he found it quite difficult to adapt to the Pirelli he admits that himself um, the Pirelli in GP2 that is um, when he went to Prima for his second year they did a lot of work um, with him on on getting that right and once he had done he was very difficult to uh, for, for anyone to stop so it was just a question of him kind of reining it back in uh, in order to make use of the tyres that he had you know obviously the Pirelli's they aren't exactly the same as they are in Formula One, but he has now mastered that. So hopefully it shouldn't be a problem on the on the rubber in, in F1. Yeah, because he came from Michelin uh, supplied series uh, when he was in the Renault categories. And in those championships, you've always been able to really push and really lean on the tyre, like Marcus was saying there. So it was it was quite a big transition for him. And I think actually it's one of the reasons that he made the step from Renault 2 litre to Renault 3.5 quite easily was because he didn't have the the almost curveball factor that you have in GP2 where you've got these sometimes outrageously high degradation tyres to try and contend with. And actually maybe the fact that Formula 1's gone back the other way a little bit now, I mean, it's not such a big tyre management equation this year, could help him as well in terms of getting up to speed quite quickly. He's got 
reasonable amount of F1 mileage now as well. Red Bull have had him out in in their car, uh, both of the in-season tests, I believe, this season. Yeah, he's had eight test days in total. That's dating back to 2015. But he's done a day, a day in Bahrain and a day in Hungary, where the two tests have been. Yeah, so he's got a level of familiarity with this year's machinery, which obviously was something that Paul DeResta didn't have earlier this year when he got thrown into the Williams at short notice. He's got time to prepare for this. I think he's known for a while something like this could be on the cards. So I imagine as much as you can be being thrown in in the, mi- in the middle of a season or towards the end of a season, he should be relatively well prepared, I would have thought. Well, the only thing that perhaps is unexpected for him is who's in the other car because <laughs> it looked like he was destined to take the seat vacated by Carlos Sainz Jr. as part of a switch around whereby Carlos Sainz would have gone off to Renault early in place of Julian Palmer. I think Palmer's sixth place in the Singapore Grand Prix has slightly changed the landscape. But clearly, Red Bull have thought, actually, do you know what? We like this idea. We want to see him. It'll be interesting as well to compare him to Carlos Sainz because, of course, when Gasly did his Formula Renault 3.5 season, he was runner-up in the championship to Carlos Sainz. They were in different teams at, at that stage, so they weren't working together. But it's going to be an interesting benchmark for him, isn't it? He's going to know all about science and what kind of driver he is. A very, very good benchmark. You know, we're not going to expect Gasly to jump in there and suddenly be beating science because he's an extremely good driver. But that's quite a good scenario for Gasly to jump into. He's going in alongside a contemporary, if you like. In a way, I think that's better than if science had moved on and he'd been put in alongside Kvyat because Kvyat's so all over the place, as we've already described, that there might be an expectation that he should beat him or at least get near him. If Science is sneaking the Toro Rosso into Q3, as he often has a habit to do, I don't think the expectation is going to be there for Gasly to do the same. You're obviously going to not want him to see him off the back of the grid uh, behind some of the slower cars. But this is an interesting commitment to him from Toro Rosso because they're in the hunt here in that fierce midfield constructors championship battle. And if they really felt that Kvyat would get them enough points to maybe back Science up and get them over the line, they might have been a little more fearful of giving this a go but they're clearly prepared even with that in the background and the team do say that's important to them I know they have to financially try and look after themselves a bit rather than just take handouts from Red Bull so that prize money could be important but I think there will be a level of expectation and they'd certainly any points he could get would be considered a massive bonus I think. How's Gasly under this kind of pressure? There is a 2018 drive to shoot for he's in a very strong position for that so you could argue that in this scenario, all he can do is is mess it up because it's quite a short list for, for next year. One of the other contenders, Nobuhari Matsushita, currently doing F2, isn't going to have enough super license points unless he has an absolutely stunning end to the season and he can get higher up in the championship. So how, how will Gasly respond to this scenario? Because he could do himself quite a bit of damage, potentially. Yeah, of course. I mean, Marcus, how would you judge how he handled that? The biggest pressure I think we've seen him have was the end of the GP2 season, when really it was kind of expected that he was going to deliver, but he ended up with Antonio Giovinazzi, sort of became a fierce uh, title rival at the end, didn't he? So how did how did Gasly handle that one? It was a slight, admittedly, it was a slightly faltering end to to that season. But I think that the bigger pressure that he had in 2016 was what I mentioned before about actually breaking that jinx and getting a win. And the way he did it in such superb style at Silverstone, um, that really set him up for the end of the season. And if he hadn't battled his demons at that point of the season and uh, and gone on that uh, run of really good results, then we wouldn't even be talking about that Abu Dhabi finale because Giovinazzi would be the reigning champion. So, um, so I think that really impressed me. And I think 
yeah, there've been two other cases of high pressure that he's come out come out of quite well during this season actually. Um one of which was when I when I went to Wakayama, he did seem um a little bit down about this strange experience of racing in Japan. It was very difficult for him and obviously he's not living there either because he's having to be based in Europe to do his work with with Red Bull. And he didn't have a great so, start to the season, did he? he no, he, he, didn't, running. He, he didn't. I got the impression of someone who wondered whether it was um, going to continue in the same inglorious vein for the rest of the year. So the fact that he has turned that around is really impressive. And in the meantime, also, of course, he made his Formula E debut in New York and did a spectacular job, I thought, to uh, to put in the performance that he did. Yeah, seventh and a fourth place he got there, which just shows he's able to jump into a pressure situation. That was with the Renault Edams team in place exactly. of Boemi. So that was that a pressure situation <laughs> because of how good the equipment was. It wasn't just that he was being dropped in. There was a level of expectation that comes with a car that has been that dominant. As you say, when you're taking the seat vacated by, in many ways, the dominant driver of last season, even if he didn't win the championship, it would have been very easy to expose yourself there. And I'm sure the way he performed there was noted by Red Bull as well, even though they weren't as involved in that as they are the rest of his career moves. These are the sort of things that Red Bull takes notice of. It's interesting, actually, to look back. We talked about Kvyat earlier and being mentally maybe a little bit weak and struggling. But actually, when you go back to when Kvyat got his Toro Rosso chance, and this was up against a driver like Sainz, and also Antonio Felix da Costa was the other contender. The thing that Helmut Marko, I remember speaking to him, I think it was at Monza I was speaking to him, and he said... All three of those drivers have had problems in their various campaigns this season, but Kvyat's the one who's responded really well to it. So this is an important thing for for Red Bull. Um, quite what's happened to Kvyat since then is <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> it's anyone's guess, really. But that tells you these are the things they look at. People just think it's about plugging fast racing drivers into cars, but Red Bull do look for this sort of fortitude. You could argue that this is a pressure situation where he has got something to lose because he could go from a favourite for a 2018 seat to being down the queue if he annoys the team or doesn't do a solid job. And that might actually be what Red Bull's trying to look at. I think, do you know what, let's just have a quick look at him. Just see. See if he buckles. See what he does. See if he does something stupid. Perhaps that's the test. Well, if you go back slightly further in his career, one of the first times Red Bull would have seen him under pressure other than the pressure of being a Red Bull driver, which was when they picked him up for 2013, he reached the end of that season in in a championship battle with Oliver Rowland. And they went into the final race. The championship was still up for grabs. And Rowland had worked his way up to second behind Gasly on the opening lap. But he knew, and I think Gasly knew, that Pierre had the pace to beat him in a straight fight. So Rowland took what can only be described as a, a flyer or a lunge at the end of the back straight, really, uh, and Gasly saw it coming, but just thought, no, I'm going to stand firm here. They collided, um, but Roland picked up a penalty for it. And then Gasly sort of worked his way back through the field with the championship in the bag. So I think that day he showed good mental strength at a point when he had been a lot younger than he is now. So quite often mental fragility can, can show itself a bit more in a driver's early years before they've maybe matured a little bit more. But that day and through that season, really, uh, Gasly and Roland were the standout drivers. And Marcus and I were talking before we started recording about a conversation we had back then where we were discussing Esteban Ocon, who was third that season in the Euro Cup. And I wasn't massively impressed with him because of the gap that he had really to the top two. But Marcus assured me he's, you know, he's the junior single seater guru amongst us. And he assured me that Ocon was a was a top talent. And I think 
Uh, he's definitely been proven to be right in that respect. But yeah, Gasly stood out in what was a competitive field that year. It's, it'll be good, really, that he's joining Ocon on the grid this weekend. Mm. It, yeah, it's, it's funny that you say that because I'd never actually seen Ocon drive at that point. But it was just from uh, from French friends who um, who knew the karting and Formula Renault scenes quite well. And um, the interesting thing is that um, Gasly and Ocon uh, grew up probably about 40 or 45 miles away from each other in, in Normandy. They've been racing against each other since they were, since they were small kids in the, in the cadet karting ranks. And uh, it's, it's funny to think how um, if you're competing against a future Formula One driver, it's probably going to bring you on that much better. Of course, neither of them could have known they'd be future Formula One drivers at the time. But how funny to look back. Maybe someone's got a 10-year-old program from a cart track or something like that with both of them on the cadet entry list. Um, but, um, but Gasly's family is um, quite steeped in motor racing, actually. He, um, he grew up in Rouen, which uh, obviously is the former home of the French Grand Prix with the classic road circuit and he's um his grandfather raced his father raced and he's he first started going to races to watch his older brothers karting so um so there's a, a nice little family tradition there and um it, it's great that one of them's actually made it to become a, a top racing driver well and it's good as well that it's it's been a it's been a slight, in some ways, a slightly tough path for for Gasly, hasn't it? The fact that it has taken him a long time. It's not just do Formula One a year a cut, win three point five, do F two suddenly you're in a you're in a car. There have been questions asked of him, and so that's very encouraging that Red Bull has kept faith with him because they'd have got rid of him if they had sort any hint that he wasn't really up to it. And it seems like he's now on the brink of really making good on the promise that's always been there. Well, that's a strange thing, isn't it? You know, he he won the Renault Euro Cup, which is which is the benchmark series at that level. He made a good impression in Renault 3.5 behind another Red Bull back driver in science at the time who was a bit more experienced. He then went into GP2 and he did a good job there and he finally gave Red Bull the GP2 title, which isn't a championship uh, many of Helmut Marko's protégés have raced for, let alone uh, has anyone won it for him. But you almost feel like no matter what he did, he didn't quite seem to have the path cleared for him as much as some of the other Red Bull drivers. And as we were saying earlier this year, there were a few things that were going on at Red Bull that didn't feel like a huge vote of confidence for him. But I think your point is right as well, Ed, that they wouldn't have stuck with him through all these years if they didn't believe in him. That's just not how Helmut Marko does these things. So the belief was obviously there. Perhaps they've just felt that maybe they need to make sure a driver is a bit more ready by the time he gets to Formula One. You know, they can't all be Max Verstappen or Sebastian Vettel. So let's see if, if that approach has worked this time. And it's not as if Pierre Gasly's especially old, is it? He's still only twenty one, so that's you know extremely young. It feels like he's coming yeah, he's been into around a long life. time. <laughs> it feels like he should be twenty eight, shouldn't it? But no, he's uh, he's still young, so there's still a great future ahead of him. But I think what we'll probably see this weekend is him confirming why he should be in a Toro Rosso full time next next year. What what do we expect from him this weekend? I mean I I'm gonna say that you'd expect him should he should be able to get into Q two, you'd have thought. That was exactly the benchmark I was thinking. I said, get get out of Q1. Don't don't have a car that is, or a rival in another car that we know is definitely slower than the Toro Rosso. Don't get outperformed by someone. Uh, in a, don't in qualify a, behind Marcus Ericsson, basically, is what you say. Yeah, you don't want to be behind the Salvers, do you? Um, so I think that would that would be a job well done in the sense that you've shown some peak performance, hopefully. And, and then in the race, get a race distance under your belt and don't, don't do any silly mistakes. Don't have any of those periods of the race where the engineers decide that you've you've nodded off and you need a hurry up or any of that. You know, deliver deliver somewhere near what I imagine Toro Rosso will set him as a race target in terms of 
race time really and whatever happens happens in terms of result I don't think you necessarily want to be saying that he's got to be in the points otherwise it's been a failure and there'll be a lot of other things that Red Bull can probably measure him on uh, this weekend and it'll be incremental through the weekend as well won't it you know they'll be judging the performance through the practice sessions as well because they'll have targets that he'll need to hit whether it's through his race runs on Friday afternoon or you know the pressure point at the end of FP3 all those little hurdles he's going to have to climb over so I imagine it's it's a big pressure weekend but I get the impression that even with the stuff he's been doing in Japan as well this year he should be pretty well set up for this now it's a good car to make a transition from isn't it the super formula car yeah it it is I mean it's got um levels of levels of um downforce and and uh, high-speed cornering ability that are on a par with a 2016 spec f1 car and um, better than the actually better than the uh, worst of the 2016 f1 cars obviously 2017 f1 cars perform much better and uh, because of the new rules that we've that we've got for this year but um still super formula is not too far adrift so plenty of downforce and the other thing um i think that, that is um quite encouraging for gasly is that um he's making his debut at sepang which i think is a circuit that will suit his driving style with his flowing high speed cornering uh, technique because uh, there's plenty of plenty of high speed stuff there and if he gets another shot at Suzuka I think that will really play uh, play to his strengths as, um, even more um, and obviously he's already raced at Suzuka this year as well and he knows Sepang because GP2 uh, is not going there this year but we did go there during his time so it's it's quite good actually it's, it's just one less thing to worry about when you get there whether it's on Thursday afternoon when you walk in the track or Friday morning when you first head out, he at least knows the track. And he knows it in the the reconfiguration they gave it last year where they altered so many of the corners and made made them off camera and that sort of thing. So he's got first-hand experience of that, which is one, it's one less thing for him to have to worry about, really. He can get straight on with doing the job. It's going to be fascinating to see how he gets on. We'll have people on the ground there from Sepang to bring you all the latest there. So check out autosport.com to follow both Pierre Gasly's progress and all the news from on and off track. Autosport magazine out every Thursday this week having a good look at the recently announced Aston Martin title sponsorship of Red Bull. And also check out our plus subscribe area on the website for only 94p a week. All the best opinion, analysis, insight and features on the whole world of motorsport. So thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It seems like kids these days aren't going through an awkward stage. It's really not fair because Lord knows we did. So what were you like as a kid? Well, closeted. I didn't understand my vagina. I was psychotic. <laughs> I was out of my mind. But hey, if there's one thing that connects us all, that just brings people together, it's our cringe. Yes. It's being cringy. This is Awkward Stage, the podcast that dives into the most embarrassing moments from the most awkward stages of our life. I'm Nicole. And I'm Alina. And we're your hosts and the trusted guides to draw the deeply buried cringe out of each of our wonderfully awkward guests. New episodes every Wednesday. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, the trailer's ending, so just say something not awkward. Okay. I love you. Perfect. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.